Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, and welcome to Self-Control Through Torah. I'm David Gottlieb. Uh, I am a historian of Judaism and currently director of Jewish studies at Spertus Institute in Chicago. And I'm here with my good friend and study partner of many years, Dr. Moja Silver. <laughs> David, thank you so much for elevating me up to doctor status. But, You're, but you you take care of my health, so it seemed only appropriate. <laughs> yes, I um I actually only play a doctor on TV. I'm not a doctor. I'm a I'm a psychotherapist based in Toronto, and David and I met. I don't know, like about eighteen years ago, uh, we were introduced through a mutual friend of ours who is a wonderful teacher in the Jewish tradition of Musar, which is the Jewish approach to character development. And so for the last 18 years, give or take, uh, David and I have met over Skype, over Zoom, over whatever technology was, you know, the the uh, the du jour. And, uh, and we've been meeting weekly and studying our way and developing our way through many, many different texts, Jewish texts. What we're about to do now is introduce this podcast as an experiment for how do we bring the School of Musa into the mainstream study of Torah, and, and in particular, the five books of Moses, um, the Chumash, the, the, uh, the Torah. So I want to take a minute, David, if I can, just to maybe frame it in terms of what we think Musar is and why this is important to us. Yeah. Um, so I used to be an engineer. I, I know this might sound a bit of a long story, but being an engineer, I realized that the reason I was called to that profession initially was because it's really a profession of innovation. It's a profession of taking things that already exist and assembling them in different ways. And I was a systems design engineer, so I was interested in complete systems. So then I took that teaching, that that learning from university and said, how, how do I apply that to myself? If I'm a complete system or I'm part of a community that is a complete system or part of the world that is a complete system, then what is my role? What is my function as an element of that system? And how do I improve myself with a view to improving the whole system? And I came across this Jewish path of learning called Musar, M-U-S-S-A-R in English, um, that really is about how do you look inwardly to perfect who you are, what your character strengths are, so that you can then reflect them externally and improve the world. Does that does that feel like what Musar is to you, David? I think that's a great uh, description. And just from my end, I'm based in Chicago. Um, <clears throat> before I went back to school in my late 40s uh, to delve into the academic study of Judaism, uh, I was an affordable housing developer. And in, in that role, um, I saw many different aspects of humanity most of which all of us have within each of ourselves. There were people who were in desperate need of a de decent, safe, affordable place to live. 
And when we tried to cite developments in certain communities, the community would come out and force to oppose the development, saying they didn't want, quote unquote, that kind of person living in their neighborhood. Um, and this revealed the many ways in which people are and feel vulnerable, uh, afraid of differences, um, eager to defend and protect what is theirs, even if it veers toward the unkind or the unethical. And I saw the ways, in the best of circumstances, I saw the ways that communities can change when uh, different kinds of people move into those communities and everyone is transformed for the better as a result. Of course, it doesn't always happen that way, but many times uh, it does. And so during uh, my work as an affordable housing developer and during my studies with Modia and my increasingly serious academic study of Judaism, I came to see the interesting, the fascinating really interface between free will and predestination. And because we're starting out from the very beginning in the Torah, because we're starting today with Breshit, the very first portion of the Torah that's uh, uh, that begins the whole Torah and that is read um, beginning past week. Because of that, um, it's fascinating to look at the creation story from the point of view of how each of us is created and the different traits that are sort of foreordained for us in our DNA, in our familial circumstances, in the temperament that we apparently in many respects are born with and how all of that interacts with the world as we emerge into it. So Moja, I really look forward to talking with you about this and figuring out, <clears throat> excuse me, how the Torah's narrative of creation speaks to our personal development as human beings. What, where do you start? Yeah. Um, I love, I love it. I, I guess we start with creation, but can I just backtrack one second and tell our audience what we hope to do over the next year or multiple years with this podcast? Please, please yeah. do. So we, we love a particular book that was written in the 1800s by Rabbi Leffen called Cheshbon HaNefesh, which in English means accounting of the soul. And... Um, Rabbi Leffen, it's understood, took a model from that Benjamin Franklin had created for working on character traits. And Benjamin Franklin has this extensive spreadsheet where he picked 13 character traits, and then every week you work on one trait, and then after 13 weeks you finish the cycle, and then you start again, so that over the course of a year you've worked on every trait four times. Did Benjamin Franklin use Excel, though? You mentioned a spreadsheet. <laughs> I think so. He may have used an earlier version of Excel. But... Well, and, but it's fascinating that the Jewish ethical self-improvement discipline of Musar in some ways has its roots in the self-improvement philosophy of one of the founders of the United States of America. It's really fascinating. It is, right? At least the technology, at least this particular structure of how to go about a daily exercise. Um, because I think what happened was Rabbi Leffen then sort of ripped out Benjamin Franklin's content, kept the framework, and then inserted Jewish content, Torah right. content. And we should say that Rabbi 
uh, Leffen was uh, uh, an Eastern European rabbi of the late 18th and early 19th century, right? Yes, yeah. Yeah, and then what happened was he passed away, and Rabbi Yisrael Salanta, who's credited as being the founder of the Musa movement in the mid-1800s, um, came across this text or knew of the text and had it republished. Right. So, that, so that it became sort of a central text of Musar. So our plan is to work primarily with two texts in these podcasts. The first one is Cheshban HaNefesh, Accounting of the Soul. And the second is the Torah, the five books of Moses. And what we're going to do as an experiment is take one character trait for each month and look through the lens of that character trait at the particular Parsha or the Torah portion for that week, which means that we'll have about four Parshas, four Torah portions with one where we'll look at the same character trait, and then we'll switch to the next character trait for the following month. So then I have two questions for you. Yeah. One is, so that means, so first, my first question is, which character trait are we starting with? Oh, I... Well, let's start with the first one in Cheshbon and Nefesh and work our way through that book. So, and that is, and that is equanimity. Equanimity, or Menuchat HaNefesh, right? Yeah. Um, which literally translates sort of as rest or repose of the soul. The idea being um, um, remaining um, even keeled, even in very turbulent circumstances. And I should say, that we're recording this 10 days after the horrific attacks in Israel, a time when the when equanimity seems almost antithetical to what um, any feeling person should be striving to experience. In some ways, upset is not only understandable, but even called for. But the, but the philosophy, as I understand it, behind menuchat nefesh behind equanimity, is that you strive to understand but not be rocked to and fro by your emotions that you strive to maintain equipoise equanimity uh, an even keeled approach to even the most severe problems as a way to better navigate through them would you say that's accurate mojo yeah i think that's a really nice way of saying it um and you had told me before david about the story, actually, if we're diving into the Torah now, let's um, do it. About the story of Cain and Abel, and um, and that famous line about sin couches at the door. So, because you had pointed out that in essence, that sentence, which we'll get to, which is um, chapter four, verse seven of the book of Genesis of Bereshit. Um, you had said that you thought that that sentence, in essence, was um, Musa, that that was what we were striving for. Yes, this is uh, just to provide a little background. So we've we've already gone through the creation story. We've sort of had two different versions of the story of the creation of man and woman. Adam and Eve have Cain and Abel. Uh, Abel and Cain bring separate offerings to God. And it says uh, in verse uh, three, in the course of time, Cain brought an offering to the Lord from the fruit of the soil and Abel, for his part, brought the choicest of the firstlings of his flock. The Lord paid heed to Abel and his offering, but to Cain and his offering, he paid no heed. 
Cain was much distressed and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, and here is the first Musar lesson really to me in all of Torah, uh, the verse to which Modia was referring. God says to Cain, why are you distressed and why is your face fallen? Surely if you do right, there is uplift. But if you do not do right, sin couches at the door. Its urge is toward you, yet you can be its master. This is God explaining to the second generations of generation of human beings, one, partic one in particular, that there is a difference between right and wrong, that sin or missing the mark, hate, is constantly tempting us, but that we can master it. I, if there is anything in Torah that is Musar standing on one foot, Moja, I think this is it. I think so, too. I think it was wonderful that you found that and pointed it out. Um, the, I know I jumped. We skipped the whole creation story and went yeah, straight. Yeah, I mean, it's just too much. I mean, it's almost too much. I have things yeah. to say about it if you do too. But to me, we can even go backwards from here because to me, a lot of it leads up to this, even the story of the temptation of eating from the tree. <clears throat> Excuse me. All of this leads to this moment where God explains to the human being. You have a choice. Right, right. I think, I, you know, we say Musar is about character development and looking at character traits like equanimity and generosity, and, you know, we'll get to all of those. But I think what you just pointed out here in chapter four, verse seven, is that before you even work on your character traits, you have to understand what your urges are or what your desires are. Yes. And, um, and so that's why I think this sentence is probably the best way to start, because I was thinking about something earlier when um, when God points out to Adam or Ha'adam that the Ha'adam is in need of a helpmate, and then goes, um, it's in chapter 2, mm -hmm. verse 20, or somewhere around there, um, <clears throat> and, and then the story stops. So God says that. And then stops and starts talking about animals. And Adam starts naming all the animals, right? And then at the end of naming all the animals, we get right back to the same thing, which is, oh, yeah, you need a helpmate. Let me uh, let me give you someone opposite you so that you won't be alone. You'll have someone connected. So if I can, just a minute, David, I want to go to Rabbi Samson Raphael Hirsch, mm -hmm. a German 19th century I think yeah. 20th century? 19th. 19th. 19th century rabbi, philosopher, who comments on this verse is chapter 2, verse 20. It says, And man, or Ha'adam, gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the heaven and to every beast of the field. But for a Ha'adam, for this creature, no helpmate was found to meet with him or, or it. And so Samson Raphael Hirsch says this, thus man tested all living creatures in their characteristics and listed them in his mind according to what they impressed him as being, and so gave them names, placed them in his mind. He did this to the animals that were nearest to him, the behemoth, and to those that were further off from him, the chaya, as well as to those that are least submissive to him, the birds, the off. But for an Adam a vice-regent of God on earth, he found none that would be parallel to him, none that would share 
his obligations with him. And therefore he has to go off and create another human being. Mm. And so Adam, so what Samson Raphael Hirsch is saying is Adam really tried to find a helpmate, but he didn't just do it by, um, you know, going onto a dating site or something like that. Mm-hmm. He, he did it by looking at the characteristics of these animals. So immediately he wasn't looking at the superficial. He wasn't looking at what does this animal look like? Or what does it sound like? Or, right? It, he was diving deep into what is the inner essence of this animal? And could that be a helpmate for me? Could it help me perfect myself? So I think that may be the start of Musar, but we do have to go backwards to where you went, which is, okay, and what comes before the act of improving your character? Mm-hmm. It's like recognizing you have urges and desires that are going to throw you off course from time to time. So I'm going to go back to the very first word in Torah, Bereshit, which is often translated in English as in the beginning. <clears throat> but if you look at the first three words in Hebrew, Bereshit bara Elohim, you see that we don't go all the way back to the very beginning. What the words most likely really mean is in the beginning of God's creation, when God started to create, what is the Musar lesson here? Modia, to me, it's that God in the Torah is working with pre-existent matter in the creation of the world or the universe. And the message here from a character development standpoint is that it's not all up to us. We are made of pre-existent matter. We come in to pre-existing circumstances. We have certain predilections that will test us, no matter who we are, temptations um, that will lure us, and talents that will draw us forward. And the lesson here is it's not all up to you. And in fact, um, the Talmud says something very similar. It says, uh, this is Makot 10b, in the path that a person wishes to follow, they are led. Hmm. All of this sort of suggests in a way that our ideas of unlimited, untrammeled free will aren't entirely accurate. In fact, there was just an article, I think it was yesterday, in the New York Times uh, about Robert Sapolsky, who is, uh, uh, he's a primatologist and a neuroscientist, and he's written a book called Determined, A Science of Life Without Free Will. Hmm. Dr. Sapolsky contends that we don't have free will, at least not in the way that we have typically um, endorsed it. Basically, we are not prisoners, but uh, we are caught in a web basically, of biology, hormones, childhood, and life circumstances, and that these produce the circumstances that cause us to act the way that we do. I think this is precisely, one could argue, I am arguing, this is precisely what Torah is saying, that we come into the middle of a story that is already unfolding, and that this constrains our will, and guides our action in really important ways. This is what I also contend God is trying to tell Cain in chapter 4. 
you have certain predilections that you have to be careful about. Uh, sin crouches at the door. Uh, and when we talk about sin, Moja, which you know is going to come up a lot if we're going to go through the entire Torah, if we're going to talk about sin, what what do you think we're talking about when we talk about sin? What does that mean? Oh my gosh, that's a good question. That's one of those questions like, um, what is love, and what is like, you're you're, you know, you're, the... you're stalling for time here. Yeah, I know it's a good question, buddy. Answer the question, <laughs> David. That's a good question. Um, <clears throat> so my. So I, I, I'm a relational psychotherapist, meaning, meaning that I'm a, I'm trained in Gestalt therapy and also in trauma therapy, and everything that I see the world as now, especially through Torah lenses, is is about relationships. And so for me, sin and good and bad and evil and those are all harsh words that I don't particularly like anymore, but I think they're all pointing to. Are you working towards connection or are you working towards disconnection? Are you are you letting your ego drive you and push the world away because this is my world and I'm creating it? Or are you um, a subset, an element of a larger world that is that that in Torah language we would say is God's world? Um, so sin is just when I sin, what I'm doing is making a mistake getting confused and making a mistake in my understanding of how to connect in a rich way with both with other people, with myself and with God. So we're really, I think that's a great definition. And I think it's important to point out, especially given the circumstances of the world that we find ourselves in as we record this, you know, we're approaching this from the perspective of ourselves as individuals and then broadening out to our responsibilities to the wider society. I think the underlying philosophy behind Musar is I can't engage in improving, elevating, repairing the world if I don't start with myself. Would you say that's accurate? Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. So if I can share from Musar teachings, Rav Avigdor Miller talks about that in terms of concentric circles. And so the inner circle is myself. The next concentric circle out is others who are close to me, like my family members or my good friends. And then the next circle out would be the general masses, the community. And so he says the degree to which you perfect the innermost circle is the maximum degree to which you can then work with the next circle out. So let's say I'm working on generosity or love the, and say I get to like an eight out of 10 in terms of perfecting myself for generosity. So now the maximum I could possibly achieve with the next circle out with my friends and family is eight out of 10. And if I get to maybe a six with those people, then I go to the next circle out and now the maximum I could achieve with the general community is a six. So it does, um, it, it, behooves us to work on ourselves and get as high as we can in terms of improving who we are. That's a great, that's a great answer and a segue to what um, uh, Rabbi Leffen says in Cheshbon HaNefesh. The first third of his small but really dense, uh, really fascinating book is taken up with, uh, uh, with sort of an introduction to the idea of an accounting of the soul and then how to prepare to do it. And then the very detailed procedures for doing it. 
But the first trait he actually talks about is equanimity. And the way he talks about the, the, the sort of almost mantra that he puts at the top of the chapter is rise above events that are inconsequential, both bad and good, for they are not worth disturbing your equanimity. So the question I have is, how do you know which events are inconsequential? Oh. And how do we use this Torah portion, Breshit, to, to understand that? Obviously, in the creation story, nothing is inconsequential, right? Because here it is at the very foundation of the, of the five books of Moses. Everything unfolds from, everything grows out of this seed. But the message to us is that we treat many things as consequential that are not. And we treat things as inconsequential that are. In other words, we get it wrong a lot. So, Moja, how do you know? How do you, Moja, know what's consequential and what's not? Um, I think I'm a work in progress, and I don't. I know you're not going to like this answer either. But you I'm should have started with saying that's a very good question, David. Yeah, that's a very good question. Um, well, I'm essentially going to say that. Um, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I thought I knew at an intellectual level. I thought I had an answer, and then um, you mentioned at the beginning of our podcast that this is day ten. Um, of post the Hamas invasion of Israel and the tragedy that we're all facing. Um, last night, I had two of my teenage daughters arrive home from Israel, and my whole world has turned upside down in terms of what's consequential and what's not, what's yeah. inconsequential. Yeah. You know, is it is, is it worth getting frustrated at my daughter, at my teenage daughter, you know, for a million things that frustrate me about her or you know it's really not it's no longer consequential and maybe that's just the question of can i use my somatic experience like my body-based experience tap into my emotion and then go to my higher self go to my intellectual functioning to say is this going to help draw me closer or send me further away interesting interesting can i can i just say well, just to share a personal story as well, many years ago, one of my daughters lied to me to my face. I know this is actually going to be shocking and maybe not a good um, a good parent uh, piece of advice, but lied to me to my face, like a foot away from me. And it was so crystal clear. And I said, you know, it's so clear that you're lying to me and there's going to be a consequence for it. And she thought oh no, I'm going to lose my iPad or, you know, whatever for yeah. like for a week or something. And she's like, what's the consequence? And I said, the consequence is that you just damaged our relationship and you moved the, the two of us further away. And that, you know, devastated her. Wow. But it's like, I think it's all about connection. So what is consequential and what's inconsequential? What's consequential to me is, am I doing things? Am I thinking speaking and acting in ways that draw me closer to you know, the things that I want to be drawn closer to the people mm -hmm. and to God mm -hmm. and everything else is inconsequential. I think that's a great and very brave answer. It comes very close to an answer that I would have given up until very recently, which is not that everything is inconsequential, but everything is consequential to the same degree. This is mm -hmm. very hard 
thought to hold. And it's obviously very controversial at times like this when there's massive suffering uh, and violence um, in parts of the world that uh, that are that are very delicately balanced. But the challenge here is the challenge that radiates our, out from the story of the Garden of Eden, which is here's a tree whose fruit you must not eat. And yet, in a way, it's already clear in reading the story, in the way that God has set things up, that the fruit of that tree will be eaten. To me, what this means from a Musar perspective is that we will fall short. And the question is, how do we deal with it? To me, especially in the Western world, there's a great fear of failure or of falling short. And there's an almost neurotic need for constant improvement and self-maximalization. To me, the greatest learning moments are those when one does fall short. So the challenge of equanimity is not to never lose control. It's to relish the opportunity to learn about yourself when you do lose the even keel. When you are upset, those are the learning moments. Those are also the moments that make you human. What makes us human is that we will fail and that we will, you know, someday cease to be. And there's a massive opportunity in understanding that someday that we'll cease to be, that our actions, our ideas, our movement in the world is not so consequential that we should take ourselves so terribly seriously. This should help us maintain mm. an even keel and turn our focus toward how other people are being treated by us. So I like what you're saying, um, because if we do go back to the Parsha, to chapter 2, verse 9, which is what you were just referencing, it says, and Hashem Elohim, and the Lord God made to grow out of the ground every tree that's pleasant to the sight and good for food. Also, the tree of life in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Yeah. So you're right. Like right in the framework of creation is the duality of good and evil. Exactly. And we can't we can't ignore one side because then we're ignoring part of God's creation. Right. Exactly so. Right. Yeah. And... And it's some of those inclinations toward um, knowledge of good and evil that make us who we are. In other words, Cain goes on to found the first city. Um, uh, his descendants, Yaval, invents the herding of livestock. Yuval invents music. Tuval Cain invents metallurgy, and so on and so on. So... And, you know, the Tower of, of Babel emerges from the combination of pride and energy and striving upward and greed. This is the balance that we constantly have to strive to maintain. And that's the central challenge of equanimity. Do you agree? Um, have I lost yeah. you? No, you haven't lost me. I, I think it is the central challenge. And I think the, the garment that shields us or... or confuse it well i think confusion is is the garment that shields us 
or or stops us from recognizing or achieving that equanimity. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and maybe it's the maybe you know your question before maybe it's the confusion over what is right and wrong. You know that example I just gave about my daughter lying to me. Like mm-hmm. was it right or was it wrong? to point out to her that she just damaged our relationship. She was a little girl. Maybe, maybe, maybe she wasn't ready to hear that. So let me ask you this. How did it change your relationship when you said that to her? What was her reaction? And has did she become more truthful and closer to you as a result of that interaction? <clears throat> yeah. So the answer is yes, because it moved us both down to an emotional connection it took us into our body and into our feelings. And then mm-hmm. we went back up and it strengthened the relationship. But in the moment, how do you know when that boat's being rocked that you should just stay the course and not get, you know, go with, go with the waves. That's a you, great question. Yeah, yeah. Like, are you causing the waves? Or are you, are you riding the wave? Well, you know, I think, uh, Drawing from my own personal experience, as you know, uh, a little more than two years ago, uh, I was assaulted and badly beaten. Um, And I was traumatized for some months um, by that event. And so there are times when things happen that your boat gets rocked, right? Mm -hmm. That, That simply you don't have control over the emotions that you are experiencing. And then the question is, what do you do? Do you strive to steady the boat at all costs? Or do you live into the experience of violently seesawing emotions? And I'm asking you not only as my friend and study partner of 18 years, but as a therapist, then what do you do? Because Adam and Eve obviously are traumatized by God saying, that's it, you're out. You're going to live by the sweat of your brow. The woman is going to experience the horrible pains of childbirth and you're going to die, right? Right. And they must live through that. So as a therapist, when emotions are surfaced by things utterly beyond your control, then what is the, what is the central task of regaining equanimity? Is it living into the emotions or is it a kind of stoicism or is it some combination of the two? Well, I think my answer would be informed by a trauma lens through a trauma lens. My answer would be, it depends. And, and the, it depends is, do you have adequate support to go in, down either path? So if I'm going to go a stoic path, do I have the, both the internal supports, like my breath, my um, the ability to regulate myself the ability to put my feet on the ground and ground myself or do, and do I have the external supports, which could be routines, rituals, it could be people. Um, If I have those supports, I can go down the stoic path. Or if I have different supports, I can go down the path of letting my emotions, like feeling into the emotions. So one really important thing that you're bringing up here that I think our whole series of talks together is going to try to help our listeners build is that, This work is really only supported. The work of ethical self-development, especially through a Torah lens, is really only supported by the cultivation of a discipline, right? There has to be a system. What Mm -hmm. Menachem Mendeleffen proposes is a very ornate, very detailed system. It may not be for everybody, but with respect to each trait, 
you have to have a system or develop, be um, uh, disciplined in developing a system that will help you grow in that trade, right? So yeah. in terms of equanimity, um, what do we learn from Brashit that we should do? What should we ask people to think about until our next episode? What what habits should they cultivate? What exercises might they do? I know I'm putting you on the spot by by uh, um, asking that question, so I'm going to let you, um, I'm going to buy you some time by providing my own answer. Oh, good. For, um, Excellent. I know this is only an audio podcast, but I'm going to tell you and tell our listeners you're, you're frantically searching through text right now. There's books flying over your shoulder as you try to come up with an answer. Here's here's my no answer. no. I'm actually I'm actually grabbing for my phone to call a friend and ask them the question. <laughs> you have a lifeline. I see. Yeah. Um, so my answer is uh, that there has to be a phrase or a word that you return to when you feel yourself losing your equanimity. Okay, that's one. I'll come back to that in a second. The other is in the morning when you get up. You should review what's coming in your day that you know to expect and think about which of the activities that are coming that day are going to challenge your equanimity. And the third thing that you should do is at the end of the day, review your day, see which things, and these are all from Menachem and Leffen's prescriptions, right? The third thing that you should do is at the end of the day, and a journal is very helpful for this, review where you feel you felt short with respect to that trait uh, so that you can learn which things sort of trigger you, which things set you off, which things help you develop uh, some strength and some resistance and some discipline. So going back to the idea of saying something like a mantra or a phrase that you can think of, I think Rabbi Leffen said it best, rise above events that are inconsequential. This is what, this is the thought that I turn to when I feel myself getting worked up. Because the next question you have to ask yourself is, is this consequential? How consequential is it? It makes you put things in perspective. It's not to say that everything's inconsequential. That's not so. We know that's not so. Mm -hmm. But it is to say that your emotions lead you in certain ways that aren't always the best ways to be led. This is the lesson of Brashit. This is the lesson of Cain. This is the separation of light and dark, the upper and the lower waters. This is the lesson of pre-existing circumstances. And you have to ask yourself in each case, is it consequential? Beautiful. Beautiful. I love all those suggestions. Um, and so I'm going to add one extra one. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to actually take it back from this week's Pasha, from, from chapter 2, verse 3 where it says, and God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because in it, God rested from all God's work, which God in creating had made. So <clears throat> in the Hebrew, when it says, and God rested, it uses the word Shabbat. Mm -hmm. And I think that is an important element as well. It's can you slow down enough to give yourself the space to see more truth to not yeah. get sort of caught in the weeds yeah um, you know someone does something someone someone cuts you off in traffic someone whatever it is and my boat is about to be rocked and i might lose my equanimity can i whether it's taking a breath or whether it's having a mantra or you know a phrase like you just said but can i create some distance so that i can then just reflect on okay 
is this consequential or inconsequential? Maybe it's counting to three or counting to five yeah. before, you, before you speak or act. I love that. Yeah. I love that. Um, that is what our teacher, Alan Marinus, uh, referred to as, I don't know if this originated with him, but I remember him saying <laughs> it's putting a space between the match and the fuse. Right. Yeah. I think I think he actually learned it from his teacher, Rabbi Pear, from, yeah. from, from Frau Rockaway. Right. So putting a space yeah. between the match and the fuse is the critical lesson when any emotion, any experience arrives that can disturb your equanimity. And, you know, again, from my own experience, from your expertise as a therapist, uh, it's important, too, though, to live through emotions that are surfaced by trauma and to get help. As you said, you need a, you need supports around you to do this work. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. David, I have to go. Me, too. I have to go to work <laughs> and get cut off in traffic. Oh, great. Great. Um, this is cool. This is an yeah. experiment. So folks who's, who are still listening to this, um, <laughs> this is an experiment that I really liked. And we are going to keep doing this. Yeah. In our next episode of Self-Control Through Torah, we're going to talk about Parshat Noon. And we're going to try to move um, doing one character trait for four weeks at a time but moving through the Torah portions as they arrive in the annual cycle through the entire Torah. This will surface both wonderful opportunities and wonderful challenges, as in the book of Leviticus, where, where very arcane and detailed ritual prescriptions are given uh, in the Torah. And we have to figure out what's character, how that applies to the character trait that we're working on at the time. But we hope you will listen in again to our next episode on Parshat Noah. Um, I am David Gottlieb, and I am delighted that you're listening to this episode of Self-Control Through Torah. And I am Modia Silva, and thank you so much, and please come back. <laughs>